Hello. Welcome to the inaugural season of the 4th Branch Podcast. I'm glad you found us. Our goal here is simple. Let's get real people together to have real conversations about real topics and issues. Our topic this week is extremism. Now, what does that word mean to you? What do you find to be extreme? And how do you feel about those who may operate in what you consider to be an extreme space? As is customary on our podcast, we want to explore thoughts, ideas, beliefs, and opinions from across the spectrum. On the 4th Branch Podcast, the way we see it, every voice should find value in the arena of public discourse, including you and me. My name is Atal Osama, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Henderson. I'm with my esteemed colleague, Atal Osama. Uh, welcome to the Fourth Branch podcast. We're going to be talking about a topic that I think is very relevant to our current days and times, and that is extremism. 100%. 100%. I think it's a, uh, a very timely, uh, very relevant topic. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I sent you uh, a clip when we were uh, going over topics, and I know you said you had a chance to, to listen to a little bit of it. Um, were you were you surprised by anything that you heard with the uh, the presentation that was there on uh, extremism? I think I wasn't necessarily surprised that there is violence, uh, violent extremism, because usually when you speak of extremism, violence goes hand in hand with it. I was just kind of surprised at what kind of violence was cited for one side versus the other. It was it was kind of like the deadly the, the deadly type of violence was attributed more toward the far right and the you know the using violent means against equipment and things seemed to be more how it was attributed to the far left where i think there's violence and death that occur that, that results from the extremism on both sides from what i see yeah, I, I think that that particular presentation, I mean, to not to oversimplify their work, but I think they, you know, they had MAGA on one side and BLM on the other. The uptick of what I found surprising uh, was the uptick of radical left wing uh, extremism. And I think it trailed, it jumped up. I mean, in 2016, it was single digits and by 2021, 22, you're talking about 40, 42%. It was only eight or 9% behind uh, the, the right wing extremism. And it just speaks to the what's going on where that type of thought process is finding a voice. You know, another thing that I looked at, not, not, not to disparage any Trump supporters, in 2016, there was a uh, an older gentleman, and I, I, I won't include their names. There, there was an older gentleman that struck a younger gentleman at a Donald Trump rally in 2016. And uh, later on, during the the uh, court proceedings, the two gentlemen reconciled. Unfortunately, their reconciliation was not covered to the same degree that the offense was covered. But it, it really led me to think about what fostered those if they were able to do that in the courtroom setting why why didn't I, why didn't they have that to begin with and, and what is fostering this sense of 
pro-choice person is the enemy and a a religious conservative is the enemy and i I, it's it's just becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and i and i i really wonder what is driving these divides who's driving it who's benefiting from it because it seems to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger yeah i i I would agree you know it's what when when you look at the the debate about um, pro choice and pro life, I mean you even look at the names themselves, and it's almost like the names are trying to start a fight. Uh, you know, why do you, <laughs> right, why do you right. Those who are for abortion and those who are against it, that would be much more uh, less provoking. Mm-hmm. Um, to say I'm you're you're anti choice. That's exactly that's right. Who's anti choice? Who is anti-choice? Right. And the other one is pro-life. Who's I mean, anti-life? Wow. <laughs> How can you ever actually not be pro-life? You know, but uh, I, I look at how that topic has been a hot-button topic in our country for a very long time, and it yeah. seems to go away and then crop up right at the time when a lot of other very, very, very important things are happening at the same time. Because, and I feel like I feel like it's being used as a, a tool to get people arguing about something that isn't. It absolutely is a valid thing to argue about. I mean, it, or or to to discuss. Excuse me. Right. Want us to argue about it, but it's a valid thing to discuss and try to come to terms with. So you can't deny that. You know, if you say, "Oh, why are you talking about that?" Someone's like, "Well, how can you not?" But it's just, why did it die down for so long? It wasn't important to many people to go after that right until suddenly a few years ago, right when the country is in turmoil (laughs) for other reasons and lots of other things are happening. Um, So you think it was a a distraction? It's... you know, I'm, I'm in the same camp that I think you're in. It's I don't want to stoke the, I don't want to fan the conspiracy, but I will say this: as of right now, right now in this country, we have uh, the World Economic Forum going after your bodily autonomy. Period. Okay. Uh, and your national sovereignty in one decision coming up in uh, the, the, this coming May. You have. Um, two other really important, they escape my mind right now, two other very important decisions that are, are, are going on right now, I'll think of those that are going on, that people really need to focus on and, uh, and really need to know about. Like one of them is uh, central bank digital currencies, right? Mm. Moving away from the, the dollar and going to a digital currency, which will pretty much remove your freedom, your financial freedom completely. Right. You know, it's a where they can tell you what you can buy, what you can't buy with your money, or this portion of your money, or yeah, it, it right. just forget the farmers market, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And anyway, there's, there's 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 one other that I don't mean to diminish by not remembering it. I'm doing it a disservice, but there's so many things going on, and then all of a sudden, abortion became this huge issue again, and it's it's like it's kind of divisive. You know, race is the other one, right? That it's just, a, a, you know, you pull that cord and suddenly people forget about everything else. And they're just talking about, you know, 
was this or that racist or not? This guy in his gym shoe down in South Florida and <laughs> goes up to where right. no one's paying to things right. that hurt us. Anyway, yeah. So it yeah, seems like I, you know, yeah. Dad, yeah. I, I remember in high school, um, you know, being on debate teams and having taking a debate class actually and having to arbitrarily pick an issue research the side that i was assigned and then argue for or against that that particular side and the and the the benefit of that exercise was you had to present arguments that were based in fact that were tangible and at the end it was about who presented the better argument. And I think that's an excellent microcosm for what we aspire to accomplish. But now you almost have to pick a side before you know anything about what's going on. Right. You, you, <laughs> you, you have to pick a side and instead of this broad knowledge base, people tend to focus in on a narrow set of facts or sources that becomes their basis for whatever their opinion is. And there's no room for discussion, no room for debate. And someone who disagrees with you, they don't just simply have another point of view. They're un-American. They're, uh, a xenophobe or a homophobe or uh, um, some other derogatory label. And I don't know how a, a functioning representative democracy is going to flourish when you can't speak about different things. And uh, looking, looking at the, you know the, the the Republican primary is 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 going on now. Really, this is this is a race for second because nobody's going to beat Donald Trump. I try to sit and watch the debates, but all it is is a race to the right. That's all it is. They're just trying to get to further and further and further right, and whoever's the f- most right is likely to secure the nomination. Which is hard to get on the right of Donald Trump, which is why he's he's. <laughs> solidly ahead but once you're that far right how can you govern from the middle and and what it speaks to and and i've heard people say that we, we shouldn't be governing from the middle right because our side is right and we need to eliminate the other side what is it are that's civil war what what is it that you're saying and and i i just I can't remember exactly when this drum beat started, but it just appears that it is more and more extreme and it's true on both ends of the spectrum. It's not just one or the other, but it's more and more extreme. And I don't know. It's almost like people don't recognize it. It's, it's, it's almost become normal now to um, go to your particular source of information, learn what you're supposed to think. And then you go, and post about that in support of whatever side that you were predetermined to agree with. I just don't remember it being that way. And it, it really concerns me. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and thank you. Almost on cue. You reminded me of the third uh, leg of ah. awfulness. 
and it is um, the net neutrality is now back. Yeah. Speaking of with names that do not correspond with what they actually mean, uh, net neutrality is back. So the federal government is now aggressively trying to pursue controlling everything you see and hear, which is only going, it serves to answer one of your questions, your main question from earlier, why, why is it increasing? Why is this getting worse, this partisanship? And it's because we're only being presented uh, two narratives, or actually one narrative that paints a picture of a good guy and a bad guy. And, and that's it. And it just depends on which side you're on, which one is the good guy and the bad guy. There's no, there's no science. There's no rational thought. There's no logic anymore. It's just those guys are wrong, and you need to do anything you can to stop them because they're the problem. And, it's, and that's told to both sides. It's like if I've, if I've heard a million, you know, one time I've heard a million times someone that's far right wing say, those stupid Democrats. And if right. I've heard the same thing going the other direction, all of those well, it's not really stupid always. Deplorable. It's sensitive, deplorable, awful, right, right-wing people. And we're just going to get more of that. We're going to get more of that fuel and, and, you know, ignition source. We're going to get, we're going to get everything you need to put flames together. And that's all we're going to get. If this attack on our uh, ability to say what we want to say and, and, and better, equal to that hear what we need to hear right. on the internet. If, if dissenting voices, nonviolent dissenting voices, just people otherwise known as people who just disagree with you, aren't allowed to speak, <laughs> then we're toast. We're finished. I, I say something that has, I'm going to say something that has haunted me since I first read it a long time ago and it equated the human brain to a Commodore 64 computer. Meaning oh, wow. we think we are so absolutely smart and one, you know, that my goodness, computers have never even caught up to us, right? But the psychologist was making the argument that the human brain is just about as functional as a Commodore 64 computer. You put the disk in that gives the instructions for what it's to think, say, how it's going to operate, and it doesn't know any different. <laughs> right. So if you don't give it the information, okay. Jump over that um, wall and you'll be safe from the fire over here. But don't tell that Commodore 64 that on the other side of that wall is a bath of hydrochloric acid. Right. Right. Don't give it that ability to, to say, wait, maybe, maybe I should jump up and sit on that wall for a second. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should jump all the way over because I don't know what's actually over there because I can't see it. Right. <laughs> Sound familiar with most people making judgments? Can't see it. Never been it. I have, I've never been over there. I don't know what's really going on. I haven't gathered the facts. But here I go, jump. Ah! And so it's just going to get worse. I, I think if we don't fight back as a people and say, "Look, although I did not agree with X person, because it's for me, it's people on both sides of the quote-unquote fence, even though I don't agree with them." I still want to be able to say what they're going to say. I've, I've heard some of the best nuggets, pearls of wisdom come out of the mouths of far right wing people. Absolutely. And I've heard the same from far left and right. 
went on, and when both of them are speaking, you know, I got my hands crossed, looking at him, giving him the side. This and then it's like, hey, not, that's a, that's not a bad thought. Yeah, because and that's because this axiom that there's just one way to operate. There's just one truth. There's just one solution is simply not true. In most cases, there are multiple solutions. There are multiple ways to address and approach a problem. And and as a as a as a professional problem solver, I mean that's basically what what I do in my professional life is where there's there's an issue and my job is to resolve the issue so that we can resume business. And in the course of doing that, I don't ever unilaterally just decide what the best course of action is because a, I'm not the one doing the work, not, not singularly. And B, I don't know if I have the best idea and it's in my best interest to include everyone as many people as I can in that decision-making process. And and I want, I want to circle back to something you were saying, um, you know, about the, the, the net neutrality, I was reading about Frederick Douglass uh, a few weeks ago, and um, if I can find if I can find the article, I'll, I'll send it to you because it was it was pretty good. But the gentleman that was putting the article together, if you read newspaper clippings about Frederick Douglass, there are newspaper clippings that are celebrating him, and newspaper clippings that are vilifying him. Some that make him. Um, sound like a statement, a statesman, and some that make him sound like an anarchist. So the idea of media bias is not new, right? There's, there's, we're people in the, the, the newspaper are written by people. People have their own by what you, you were bringing up intrinsic bias last week. So that's not new. To me, it seems like the difference is there's a lack of intolerance. There's a lack of tolerance. I don't I, I'm not interested in hearing what this religious right person has to say. I'm not interested in hearing it. I, 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 I watched a, a clip where this uh, uh, transgender activist was uh, debating with someone and called the person because they believe in two genders, called them a right wing extremist. <laughs> Because they because they believed in two genders. The person didn't have a this was the, the conversation was going on during COVID. The person wasn't wearing a mask and said, Oh, well, you're not wearing a mask, you're a right wing extremist. That's 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 not true and that's not fair. And 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 I think it's incredibly dangerous to start looking at someone who has a different point of view as an enemy combatant, I, I don't, I really don't like, and, and you're, you're uh, kind of a centrist like I am. Most people are coming from a sincere place. Even if their premise is wrong or mistaken, they're sincere in, in what they're trying to do. And I would think that would be common ground enough to say, okay, listen, I know you really want to protect unborn life, right? That's, that's, that is a sincere desire. So, Let's sit down and have a reasonable discussion about my morals and what, but it's not like that. It's, I just, it's, it's so ugly and there's so much vitriol and, and I I don't know. Um, 
I have I have people who won't come on the podcast with us because they're afraid that if they come onto the podcast and express an idea, they're going to be vilified. They're terrified. And that's terrible. How, it, 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 it saddens me. You know, I had a conversation like that yesterday, and I really hope I can convince this gentleman to come on because I want to share his point of view and what, what he has to say. But he's afraid because he's been conditioned to think that I can't speak my mind in public without, <laughs> uh, you know, getting a scarlet letter. And um, it, it should not be that way. It just, it, it really, really concerns me. We're all walking around a bunch of, uh, we're all Hester Pran all of a sudden. Oh, right. <laughs> Everybody's afraid that see somebody with some embroidery equipment. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Like, like you said, the, the difference between a long time ago and now is, like you said, you could find the information that was pro Frederick Douglass and the information that was against Frederick Douglass. Yeah, and that is how it should be. You know, um, and I would even argue that if you have, this is not mine, uh, another very intelligent person whom I can't, I can't say who it was, I can't remember, but I, I read it somewhere, said that if you do have an opinion or a thought that is even new, then you better prepare to be vilified. You better prepare to be uh, seen as negative uh, for a little bit, because that's what happens all the time throughout human, uh, what we call civilized history. Anyone who came up with something revolutionary or new in thought agreed was dogged by their contemporaries, you know, and then finally uh, vindicated sometimes after they were gone. The the other thing I can say, you know, if I could say something to that person that you spoke to, um, I would say this. Always remember, yeah, freedom of speech does not mean that you're free of the consequences from what you say, but at the same time, those who have been censored, if you look throughout all of history, those who have been aggressively and vigorously censored have about 99% of the time come out on the right side of history because Fear motivates the people who are on the wrong side, usually. Right. They are the covet people. They are the people who do not want to be discovered for their actual intent. They are the ones who need to hide. They're the ones who don't have the really, where their rational justification breaks down quickly under scrutiny. So they're always the ones who want to stop the scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, well, do not be afraid, I would say to that individual. Do not be afraid. Uh, be, be aware that there can be consequences should the absolute wrong person or group hear you said something. But also think about what your threat is. Consider that. What, what not as a knock to any in, uh, individual in your power, but most of the time, if you don't have a very widespread audience, there, no one's going to care. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you what, what, what he and I were were discussing. So he sent me an article uh, about um, 
a school district on the West Coast that is abolishing standards for math and science under the auspices that the standards are um, rooted in racism and it's unfair to minority students to try to meet these standards. So our solution is to abolish the standards altogether. His argument is, if a student is not meeting a standard, why would you lower the standard to the student? How does that help the student? If, If we have this expectation and some students are able to meet it in some places, then we need to fix whatever's wrong so that all students can be able to meet this standard if if we have societally deemed uh, that this is an important benchmark for a a child to have in our society. But what he's really saying is, and this is why he's afraid to say this out loud, is that there's a racist undertone in not even requiring or suggesting that this poverty-stricken child cannot meet the same standards as the suburban child. But because he's Caucasian, he does not feel that he can say that in public. And it is a well thought out, dispassionate argument that he's making. And I hate to agree with him, but he's right. There are, there's a certain segment of our society that would dismiss him out of hand, regardless of the, how factual his statement might be because of who he is what he looks like. And I I think that's, again, a function of this intolerance that we have, we have gotten a, allowed ourselves to, to become accustomed to, you know, do do you remember, like, I, I, I can remember Bob Dole and Bill Clinton in their, in their debates. I don't remember it devolving into personal insults and disdain towards one another. Same thing with Dukakis and Bush. Same thing with Bush and Gore. Bush and Gore, I thought, was was contentious, but they were statesmen at the end of the day, right? And and yeah. the and the the bringing the, the bringing the country together and the peaceful transfer of power was more important than it, than anything else. It's been three years since uh the 2020 elections. And I don't think I'm not going to, I mean, they might surprise me, but I don't think Donald Trump is getting invited back to the white house for his portrait unveiling. I don't see that happening. (laughs) I don't see that happening. Right. And there appears to be a personal disdain for the, for the individual. And I just, I just don't remember it being that way. And and th- that type of disdain is being celebrated in our society. I mean, we are dividing ourselves into these camps. D- do you recall it? Do you recall elements of this when when we were younger? Do you do you remember seeing things like this? I remember divisive speech, but not really the visceral insulting. Um, immature kind of juvenile type things that we see now. And that's, in my opinion, because things were pretty much smooth sailing during that point uh, from the, you know, the standpoint of those who move things. 
it was progressing <laughs> as needed. Uh, and this transition that we've lived through uh, of if you don't have access to a an actual library of really good books. Right. You <laughs> know oh, you know what? We're completely ignorant. And um, right. it's like now, or I shouldn't say now, now it's changed. We went through a sharp, it, it, there, there was a bell curve of the availability of information that would change lives and change the world. And I felt, I feel like that bell curve started at the bottom in around 1999, 2000, mm-hmm. and crested right around 2005 um, or six, mm-hmm. and then started knocking that thing down. And it's been going down since around 2006. Uh, I bookmarked, uh, you know, a lot of really good information that was available on the internet. A lot of good documentaries and speeches uh, from people you know, in government and people analyzing government. And by 2009, all of them were gone, just gone. Wow. And this is before even talking about the purge that's happening now, the internet. So we've lost, we've lost a lot of the information that we would uh, normally have. And again, what is fear? I'll take this kind of back to our, you know, closer back to our target. Fear is uh, most easily rest on a lack of knowledge. That is what causes fear of any situation or in any situations and lack of knowledge, not knowing. Human beings hate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are certain human beings that hate it when the majority of human beings have that knowledge. And so what they've done is they've, they've, they've taken it away slowly but surely, and what they can't scrub away and what keeps growing back. And I think it keeps growing back quickly because of that surge of the availability of really good information up until around 2006, 2007 on the Internet. Um, as a result of them starting to remove that information, you know, the people who were able to get a lot of that and get references to books that they had never even heard of, didn't know that certain thought processes were even ever happen those people are still alive <laughs> and right. they're making podcasts and they're making things on the internet that keep disturbing the move towards getting rid of that information because they want to get rid of that information so that extremism rises when extremism rises you just get divide and conquer it becomes very easy absolutely when you have you got this lump of people in the middle that keep going hey, hey, hey everybody hold on hold on hold on hold on <laughs> Right. Look that way. Stop looking at each other. Look at the puppet master that is laughing while you're trying to cut each other's throats. Those people are those people are annoying. Cut cut throats <laughs> over some of the most trivial, meaningless. I'm not going to call it meaningless. I mean, I'm, I I don't I don't want to say that, but comparatively speaking, compared to issues that directly affect your life those issues are going com- are, are going largely unnoticed right. and you know we're right. we're sitting here talking about the, the 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 president's son's laptop and what Donald Trump was doing in the early 90s 
as a as a real estate mogul. And, and I mean, I don't want to call those issues unimportant. I, I'm I'm sure they deserve their due. But should that be what we're talking about when we're trying to make decisions about the quality of food and the quality of education and the the prevalence of of violence and all of these things that that have real real impact um you know and i think you alluded to it before you you know it it seems like a distraction mechanism i don't know if it's nefarious though i i don't and i think this is where i part with the conspiracy theorist i i don't i don't think it's nefarious i just think it's profitable i think it's profitable to be able to get a large group of people looking in the same direction because you can sell you can sell that attention and um i i don't necessarily think that they're trying to harm the country more or less uh i i just think that there's a business model that is very successful that groups people together people feel good when they feel like they're a part of something and now that we got you all looking at the same way, by the way, while you're mad at Hunter Biden, I'd also like to talk to you about uh, <laughs> timeshares in <laughs> in in Lake Tahoe or, or 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 whatever it is you can you can sell to that group. You know, something else you said that kind of struck me. I mean, two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven. This is the rise in the popularity of Facebook. This is the rise in the popularity of YouTube. This is the rise uh, and the popularity of Twitter. And these algorithm-driven echo chambers, uh, I think this may be an unintended, maybe, I don't know. I think this may be an unintended consequence of, of their actions and... Um, you know, I remember Elon Musk and, you know, it wasn't maybe 2012. Um, no, it wasn't Musk. It was, uh, it had to be Zuckerberg. I can't remember who it was. Some, some big tech giant was arguing that it might've been somebody from YouTube. I mean, from a Yahoo. Anyway, they were arguing that they're a business, right? It's not their job to police public discussion it's a business and i just don't know if that's true anymore i don't i i think at the end of the day what they're selling is access to a public forum and if that is the case like i i don't know man do is is there an argument there is the is facebook at fault for the false ads that were running in, in during the 2016 election is that facebook's fault were they supposed to do something? Was Twitter supposed to do something about the Russian agents that were uh, trying to pollute the uh, midterm elections? Who who's responsible for that? I don't I don't I don't know if the business is is responsible for that. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say that are they responsible um, for? Editing what is fact and what isn't. Are they supposed to be their own internal snopes? And because that is censorship. 
you know, the, by the definition of to censor something. I mean, you're, you're becoming the judge, jury, and executioner. And what I have a problem with is where that violates the foundation, the founding principles. <laughs> I have trouble saying this, but I'm going to finish the sentence. It violates the founding principles of this country, right? Where yeah. um, you cannot have a judge, jury, and executioner of human, uh, of American speech anywhere. Now, you can have a private company that decides or doesn't decide what it will tolerate or not, right? But that's going to be, <laughs> referencing a previous conversation, that's going to be market-driven. And they're going to let people speak, <laughs> right? They're not going to just say, look, we're, we don't agree with all the people that think this, because they're going to lose half of their clientele. And they're not going to do that. So I don't think it's their responsibility to say, because ultimately that question becomes, are they responsible for determining who's right and who's wrong? Right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, in my opinion. And we shouldn't want them to. We shouldn't ask them to. That's what the good folks that are pushing net neutrality want them to do. They want to go even one further, a step further. They want to say, well, look, we're going to take that burden off of you. We're going to give you rules and guidelines. We're going to be the judge and the jury and the executioner for your private company. And if you don't, if you don't do what we say, we're going to even... Uh, uh, violate you financially and your freedom of speech and freedom of the, the pursuit of uh, uh, land, property, and, and you know to get justice. So a, a popular. I'm sorry. Let me let you finish your thought. Let me just say one. I wanted to address where you said that you know you, you wondered. I guess you know, or you posited that it's not it's not a black and white thing whether it is you know nefarious, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether the this this, this surge in um, partisanship and um, this, this, this great divide is purposeful. Again, I, I go back to history. When, when groups of people make it their motto that, you know, divide the two to divide and conquer, when they have slogans like ordo ab chaos, which means order out of chaos. When they, they know that when you create chaos, when you create animosity, you can come in with the solution, the order that you wanted. Right. And everybody will ask you for it. Right. Um, I think when we're focusing on Hunter Biden's laptop and when we're focusing on Hillary Clinton's emails and when right. we're focusing on Donald Trump's uh, secretly recorded statements, you know, 15 years ago, I don't care if it was four years ago. Um, when we're concentrating on that, there is profit being made. There is profit being made. It's just we don't see it. Uh, it's kept away from us and no one talks about it. When we destroy a country, while we're talking about things that, you know, whether this toothpaste ad was racist, you know, while we're talking <laughs> about that, you know, they're destroying countries. You know, yeah. they are they're using the partisanship between uh, Republicans and Democrats to make half the country push for a war they don't know anything about. They don't understand it because it's all couched in, do you support the troops? Right. It's all couched in, how, how patriotic are you? And look at those guys over there. They're not patriotic at all. And you can prove your patriotism by just simply saying, yay, every time we say we stand with Ukraine. Every time, you know, or, or it's careful. It's, you're, you're, Careful. Are you suggesting? <laughs> Where's the embroidery? You know, the embroidery people. Are they coming up 
you, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it is the most, I would say not nefarious. I would say it is uh, criminal and insidious. Mm. I mean, we, we literally set up a situation where the people in our country, if you just step back and look at our country, our economy is in shambles. Unemployment is amazing. They've told us we're just that we're, we're, we're monkeying with the definition of unemployment just to keep telling you that it's, it's we're decreasing. it. We're not worried about whether you lost a, an $80,000 job and now you are making $15,000 a year and you got a family of four. We're just right. going to say, you know, we're going to say we added 800,000 jobs to the economy, but that's because you gave a government grant to, uh, you know, Burger King. Right. <laughs> so, you know, right. This, this, that's thrown at us, dividing us in every way possible. And in the meantime, we are destroy, destroying countries. We're starting more wars than, you know, than people even are aware that we're still in. We're, we're still in Syria, you know, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. still Got, there. forgot yeah. all about it. Right. There's a travesty happening in a very, very, very small area right in the middle of the Middle East right now. An absolute genocide taking place. Um, and boy, oh boy, there you can get your scarlet letter. Oh, oh you yeah. can get a scarlet letter if you even mention that the random murder of thousands of children is not okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, so that should be unimpeachable, right? The 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 idea if you were if if you were if you were incensed at the actions of Hamas and their wanton violence towards civ- the civilian Israeli population, if you were incensed by that, how can you then feel justified in supporting? wanton violence against the civilian population of the on the Pakistani on the uh um Palestinian side. And you know the 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 trope and the argument of Israel has a right to defend itself, which I agree with one hundred percent. And and I and I, I agree with the um the need for an Israeli state. I one hundred percent. And what they're doing now is they, you know, they have an enemy that is willing to resort to guerrilla tactics, and they need to address that to defend them, uh, defend their security. There's no argument there. But to the point, I think you were alluding to. I guess we're both going to get our scarlet letters. D- doing the hard work of protecting the civilian population is a necessity, not done out of convenience, not out of publicity. It's the moral thing and the right thing to do. And as a veteran, I applaud the way that the United States has always approached respect for international law, respect for uh, to support the civilian, even as we're fighting enemy combatants. There's always a humanitarian element to any military operation that I've understand or been made aware of or, 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 or seen in, in action. And I think that is an important element. And if we're going to stand, which I think we rightfully should be standing aside Israel, I think they were brutally attacked uh, and it, it was horrible. 
but we should also equally be insisting that even though it's more difficult work and even though, uh, you know, Hamas is not at all willing to play uh, by the rules, um, we should not just stand idly by uh, and, and watch the the destruction of homes and lives and families um, in the name of of self-defense. So I'm, I'm, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. But I. I I agree with your, you know, with, with your point. I think it's unfortunate that there appears to be a profit-driven motive to push people to one side uh, or the other. And I think part of, of why we're, we're doing what we're doing now is to try to get people to do exactly what you said, right? Instead of looking at both of you guys are factory workers, right? You guys are sitting there arguing in the break room over these, <laughs> over these ideologies, and you're right. in the same boat. You're in the same situation. <laughs> Each with half a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's you're you're in the same situation. The both of you have are behind on your bills. Your utilities are too high. You can barely afford uh, to put food on the table. Those should be uniting factors as opposed to, oh, well, you, I know for a fact that uh, you allow your son to dye his hair blue and that's not American to me. And I, you know, those, I, it just, I, it, it saddens me to see, you know, where, where we are societally. You know, what I, what I say in terms of um, extremism, we have several forms of extremism that are active right now. There is financial, economic extremism. Hmm. Uh, we are in. A, uh, I won't go into that because that's another topic, you know. But we are in the most financially extreme state that we've been in since the creation of the country. Yep. Um, when it, I have to make this statement and. I'm just going to start stitching my letter right now. <laughs> um, the, in 2014, there was a march toward the border of Israel by the people in uh, Gaza into the 300-foot exclusion zone. And that was announced and known they were going to be nonviolent no weapons were going to be brought. And the snipers on the other side of that border began to pick those people off to the tune of 900 plus innocent civilians, including medical workers, journalists, popping them. They're standing there one minute, the next minute, Blood's coming out of the backside of their head and they're falling mm. to the ground. Young nurses, dead, all with absolutely nothing done, nothing done by the international community whatsoever. Nothing. So that the, the, if, if, if you want to, without going any further into that, because I can just feel the stitching happening already. Yeah. If you want to know where you can find the best example of extremism and control of a narrative and complete 
I won't, I won't use the word, I, you know, uh, you look right there in the center of the Middle East and you will find all you need to find about injustice. You will find all you need to find about censorship. You will find all you need to find about fascism. You will find it all. And the more I look into that area, the more disgusting it is. Um, you, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know any Palestinians personally. Um, I, I, I don't have talk to them regularly more, but I, I do. Yeah. yeah so I, I, you know, I, I, I know some Palestinians and I, I, not to totally rebut your point, but I don't think there's any question that there are atrocities to speak of. Uh, perpetrated by the Israeli state uh, during the occupation, after the occupation. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any any question about that. Which occupation? The Israeli occupation of the Gaza Strip between, what was that, I don't know, the late 70s and the second occupation okay. again. It took place in the was that in the mid '90s or whenever it was? Right. Um, As though it never stopped. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but what, what, what? But what I would say to that is what, what I would yeah. say to that is is mm-hmm. that if your response to that brutality is brutality of your own, you cede the moral ground that you had. You, you lose the ability to uh, you lose the ability to this is this is the this is the same argument that I made uh, over nine eleven right um, knowing people from that part of the world who honestly and earnestly felt that the United States was murderously meddlesome in their part of the world and that the Al Qaeda lashing out at the U.S. was simply in response to the behaviors and the the actions of the U.S. government, and and everything that that person was trying to say to me may have been true about what the U.S. government was doing, but you lose the ability to point the finger at their uh, wrongdoing. When you choose to fly planes into buildings and kill people that have nothing to do with what you're talking about, they the, the people that 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 were the people that were killed on October seventh have nothing to do with those points. They did not perpetrate those things. I I, I understand that reasoning. I, I'm not going to touch uh, September eleventh. I'm I'm just going to. I'm going to stick with this particular, in this uh, particular area, and speak in generalities from now on, so that maybe I won't right. get the uh, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, facts, right. Things happen in facts, so I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. volunteer. Uh, but I always have this principle, and I think it is directly applicable to the the, the strip in the middle of Palestine which is actually now the strip in the middle of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, your logic is 100%. Your, your, 
morality is 100% correct and you know in what you just outlined right those circumstances you give up your moral ground you give up your ability to say oh wait but not me however i will just say this and i will say this to anyone listening any individual any group if someone is standing on your neck okay let's just say for example if you didn't have any fresh water that you could drink, and they made sure that was the case. When you did get the allotment of fresh water they gave you for the month, people could come to your home and defecate and urinate in your right. water source. Right. Nothing you could do about it. Right. And it happened on a regular basis. If, if people put your whole group on what they call a diet, that is designed to drive you out of where you are because it is so calorie deficient that you have uh, 60% more chance of dying from common diseases and infections than the people that are four miles in the other direction. If someone has their foot on your neck for 70 years, will not get off of it, likes to pee on you, and likes to kick you while you're down. The same thing happened early in the foundation of this country. Mm -hmm. You can either say, and I'll change it, I'll change the gear. You can either say that Nat Turner was a madman and what he had coming back to him, he had coming back to him. He was a madman. He was an anarchist. He was, he was a murderer. Or you can say that he got tired of being defecated on, urinated on, having his throat crushed, watching children be dismembered and destroyed in front of him. See, that same thing happens in that little area in the Middle East. The same thing happens. And it is a matter of, again, that's why I make the stark division, because, again, 9-11 is a totally different topic, but I have to divide those two away from each other and say, look, one is a classic inarguable occupation that is a militaristic uh, 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 occupation. It is a brutal, suffocating, starving, abusive, raping occupation. And I say to anyone under those circumstances in their lives, get out from under that by this will be so so familiar. Any means necessary. Any means necessary. Now, yeah. I do not. My heart breaks. It does because for, for these people, everyone in Israel is, you know, like we said in another conversation, they're not evil people. They're almost on the brink of a civil war right now at this point because they have such a divide with people who hate what's going on in Gaza and the people who are so pro kill them all, they're not even human. Right. Heart breaks for the young people, even the ignorant ones that they interview on TV and they say, you need to kill all of the Palestinians. You know, right, right. My heart, <laughs> heart breaks for those people, those children, however many, those teenagers, those adults. I'm not, I don't draw the line to, for, for dramatic effect like a lot of the news people do. My heart breaks for the innocent people who were torn apart by the... Uh, Munitions that were lobbed in Israel's direction from uh, 
angry people because they didn't deserve to die. Those people did not deserve to die. They don't deserve to be in the sick situation they were in, whether they're on the Israeli side or the Palestinian side. They did not deserve to die. I am anti-violence. I'm anti-war. It is a failure of humanity, a failure of intellectual discourse when you are fighting and being violent. You fail. You, if you have, if there's reincarnation, you get to come back. Right. Because you didn't learn anything. You're still an animal. You might get to come back as a squirrel. So at least you can't. You can hurt it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might me when I'm jogging at the park. Right. <laughs> when you out of the trash can, but. I think, you know, uh, yeah, okay, we're coming up, but I'll just say, I totally abhor violence. I totally abhor that. And, and I feel for every you know, Israeli child, an innocent person that was hurt, and I feel very strongly also for the innocent uh, Palestinians that are being murdered. So I, I, I just, I, what you're describing, and, and slavery is, a, is, a, is an apt comparison. Um. I love the story of Nat Turner, right? Um, where I draw the line with, with, I love the story of Nat Turner. I, I love it. I hope it, I hope it becomes a movie one day, but where I draw the line with Nat Turner, I, I think Nat Turner and, and his revolt was justified in fighting back against the brutality that they were experiencing. My problem with the Nat Turner revolt was that it was indiscriminate. The, the, the three-year-old and four-year-old slave owner's child has nothing to do with your fight. That's my Agreed. problem. Agreed. And, and, I, and I, I, this, this is the problem with the terroristic approach, right, on, on, the, on the topic of, of extremism. If you're going to be indiscriminate in your if, – if, if Hamas had went – to an Israeli military base and attacked the Israeli military, attacked the perpetrators of the brutality, that's war. That's war. Okay? I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not I'm not faulting that. But to kill people in their beds, even if that's even if that was your end goal, even if that's where you were headed to. But to kill people in their beds along the way. You strip your city. How are you any better than the brute that you're claiming to fight? And then you want to turn around. You you just so so it, to me, it would be important to maintain my moral standing. It would be important for me to differentiate myself from my declared enemy. And if I'm going to behave in the same tactic that they are behaving, um. I lose the ability. I can't come. Cry. I I don't want to say crying. I I don't want to sound insensitive because they 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 one hundred percent have a, a gripe, but I don't think that there's any justification for attacking civilians and and innocent people. That was drilled into me when I was active duty. Uh, I, I I believe in that principle. I think it's it's an, it's an important one, and whether it be the Rwandan civil war or the Bosnians and the, and the uh, uh, Slav, Slavic people in, in Bosnia, Herzegovina, um, uh, whether it be the Kurds and the Shiites and the Sunnis, 
I, I, I don't care who it is. Um, whether we're talking about the United States Army and the natives of uh, the Western Plains, who, wh- wh- whichever conflict you're looking at, if you dehumanize the other side to the point that their lives are are indiscriminate, you are no longer fighting a war. You are committing genocide. That is a terroristic method that our evolved society has uniformly rejected. That is not how you should conduct yourself as a power. And if I, you know, I, I doubt if Hamas is listening to the podcast, but my plea would be that you need to elevate yourself to be members of the world stage. And you are not going to accomplish that through brutality, despite the brutality that you have experienced. Someone has to rise above it and spotlight what's, what's going on that's being done to me. But I, I digress. I, I take your point and I, and I, 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 I I agree with that. I just, I, I, I have to draw the line for me personally. I just, I have to draw the line with, with attacking people who have absolutely nothing to do. Um, uh, I, I think that the premise or the, or the, the running theme in what you're saying, you know, is, is encapsulated a lot by the morality and the elevation uh onto the international stage and and I would just I would submit humbly that they don't have that avenue. They're not allowed to gather in groups of more than uh, I think it was two or three, excuse me, uh, groups of more than like 10 or 11 people. They're not allowed to gather. They're not allowed to do or say anything politically. Their communication is 100% surveilled and controlled by their uh, oppressor. And that's what I'll call it, because that's what it is, by their okay. oppressor. They cannot even see outside of their prison. They're not allowed to go from one cage in their prison to another without showing their papers and being harassed, maybe even shot, along with a few uh, journalists that are with them. They don't have the ability to target at all. They target and they can target as well as we target when we use our precision strikes and kill uh, 15 civilians and go, oops. Right. (laughs) Right. They don't have. Again, I don't change my stance. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in put yourself in someone else's shoes and the little child or children, innocent people that die. It breaks my heart, but I know why they're dying. I understand. I like to think in terms of root causes, you know. So you're you're blaming your and and I see what you're saying. You're you're blaming their deaths because of the actions of their government, and and I I I understand that. I understand that. they're They're saying it too. There are people, can you imagine how lucky we are, let me just say that, to live where we are right now. You know, they, there are people in Israel that go to bed every night, just like there are people in Palestine that go to bed every night thinking this might be the last one. Right. And they get up and they protest 
<laughs> they're doing it right now, probably. They get up and they protest to what, what their government is doing. They don't all love Oh no. Mr. Oh Mr. no. And he shouldn't never mind, I won't go too deep into that. I'll yeah, I mean say, they, they were protesting before because of his he, he was attempting to, to consolidate power and weaken the Supreme Court. That was a huge deal before uh before this happened. It's it's by no means a a unified society uh in Israel right now at all. And at that, all. you know, I want to stress that because I think we both I know we both, I know you, we both are pro human. We both are pro people, meaning no one deserves to be slaughtered. No one deserves to be senselessly murdered. Nobody, right? I mean, uh, who are we as individuals? And doesn't that matter anymore, you know? Uh, but when I when I look at that situation, I look at, again, tying it back to extremism, it is, it, that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, there are people who do not see the people in that strip as human beings at all. Mm -hmm. They totally humanize them. Their leadership dehumanizes them. Uh, and that's what allows the violence. And then, of course, when you are violent at all, and let's not forget that, when you are violent at all, you forfeit your ability to complain. Agreed. When violence is used against you. So it's like when... They, <laughs> When you oppress someone, when you when you crush people, and you laugh at it, they take home videos. I've seen them myself. I've seen them myself. There's the snipers at the at the gate, or the, the well, whatever might as well call it the gate. They take home videos of splattering people's brains into the air, and they laugh and they cheer and they say things like, "Man, what a great video this is going to be." These are the people that they know they're dealing with. So it's a, it's a tough situation for, for <clears throat> when I, when I was, um, I, and I was never deployed. Um, uh, I did have an opportunity to, uh, work with, um, because, especially because I was in Germany. Um, so that's a forward deployed area. So we were commonly rotate units out the engineering, uh, engineers unit that, uh, was, in the same installation that I was on, made frequent trips to uh, Bosnia when I was there in the, in the, in the late 90s. And one of the, uh, and this, this is a thought experiment that I, I've had to, to deal with um, since I came home from the Army. And again, if you don't, if you're not, if you're not given certain information, Right, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna set uh, an example here. You're a soldier, you're new in country, you're going out on patrol, and you're being told to beware of a child. You know these militants are using children to come and blow up patrols. And there's an actual incident of a child blowing up a patrol somewhere in your theater. So you're on high alert mentally about the potential for this happening. And then you happen to be out on patrol and a child starts running to you. You don't know what that child's intent is. Maybe they're excited to see Americans and they want candy. Maybe they 
have a bomb strapped to them. The question then becomes, what is your what is morally right for you to do? Do you have a right to self and self protection that would justify you shooting that 10 year old? Or should your morality override your self sense of uh, protection and give the benefit of the doubt to this kid that is running in your direction. And and I think you, until you've, until you've been a soldier and been in, in that environment, it's really hard to understand what goes on when you're trying to make that choice. Because I can say now, I can say here and now that if I was in that situation, I'm shooting that kid because I'm coming home. And nothing is going to override that for me, even though I know full well that after I shoot that kid, the news might pick up the story that a 10-year-old was shot. And that will definitely happen in their home country, right? This is the third instance that this 10-year-old, why are they over here shooting our children? And the reason that it's important to give context and um, freedom of, of information is because... If I knew more about the child or if the child knew more about me, if that child knew that, hey, these soldiers are afraid because of what what's going on. The last thing you want to do is look like you might be in this situation or I might uh, be better served to know that where it may be an issue or concern here. It's not going to be an issue or concern there. Whatever information can be provided to allow me to make a more informed choice. But when you don't have that, uh, the benefit of that information, the benefit of that knowledge, um, and, and I'm not trying to justify whatever the Israelis were were, were doing, oh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not. But I will say that it's without without the context of knowing why, what their orders were, what was explained to them. What do they understand? Because how else, if it if it's just if it's just cold blooded murder, right? I mean, you're talking about people taking videos and laughing. So I've I've seen guys come back and they've got photos of a tank, an enemy tank that's fried, and they're taking selfies with the charred bodies inside the 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 the, the tank. Because for them this was someone that was trying to kill them and they're, and they're not celebrating the destruction of life. They're celebrating their successful defense of their own. And I wonder what makes this, uh, Israeli sniper feel so good. I mean, is this just a sadistic person that enjoys shooting people or, or 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 is there some understanding that they have that allows them to feel justified in their actions? And I and I, and I know I wonder what that might be. And and it's and I think it's important for us to be able to have that kind of context. Um, again, because I don't know you, your your assessment could be completely right. Right? They could just they could just look at these protesters as less than human and revel in their deaths. That could be the case 100%. I honestly don't know. But it could be that 
they believe that there's some existential threat in that their belief in that threat is what justifies their actions. That could be the case. It's, 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 it is a hard place to be in, in, in when you have so much history of violence and pain to try and parse out uh, who's uh, justified and, and, and who's not. Because I think the point that you were making, this is the very same argument that I'm making against Hamas, one could argue you could make that same argument against the Israelis. The Israelis have no moral standing based upon their actions, right? That argument could be made. They're in no position to claim, oh, look at what's done to me in the face of what they have done to others. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it really, really is hard. Now, I just, I know we weren't intending to go down this, but it's... Um, it's an impossible thing to avoid this topic almost if you talk about extremism because it is the, probably the largest example of extremism. Of extremism that's in the world right now, yeah. I'll address kind of what you said on two, two little things really quickly. What were those soldiers thinking? And what I think what you said is I agree with the, the reasoning and the thought process behind it 100%. Never just assume you know everything about a situation and snap to a judgment. I 100% agree with that. What I will say, though, quickly about the soldiers in the videos is they were taking these shots. They were blowing heads off from behind a very tall fence, earthen barricade with concrete at civilians with baseball caps on and t-shirts so there was no imminent threat of death or danger or even harm in that in that um altercation if you want to call it that possibly possibly if if they were told if they were told that they're uh they have reliable intel that they're amongst these uh protesters are um embedded terrorists and we believe that they have these descriptions and based upon this intel and is very strong based upon that you are clear to engage uh if you have clear line of sight on these targets based upon this description the only thing is you have to replace the word target with protesters and you have to say um you'd have to feel in in clear and present imminent danger from 200 uh, feet away, um, you have to say these people have the most incredibly covert way of hurting you because they're, whatever they're hiding it in, it must be a gel that they rub on their skin that explodes and can destroy things. Football field. <laughs> um, right. So it, it kind of makes that argument very difficult. I'll just say very difficult for those soldiers, but I'll, I'll, I'll skip past that. What I saw were people very happy about picking off civilians at random that were no threat to them whatsoever. Right. Um, and very happy and celebrating about it. And the things they were saying, wow. Um, uh, I think I, I think I actually forgot the other side of what the other thing I was going to say that, that uh, pertained to what you were speaking about. Uh, oh, there it is. Okay. So with the validity of what you're saying, because it is about the guys with the tank and taking the pictures, and man, if, if your life was just that close to being lost, if your gunner hadn't shot two seconds before, those guys were going to kill you, and you knew it, 
Yes, there's going to be, a, if it were me, there's probably going to be a celebratory moment that comes after the realizing that we survived that. And there's not going to be anything that is a better bond than that. These people were trying to kill us, and we lived, oh my gosh, that good. Now, would I personally take a picture in front of the dead bodies of the people I killed? No. I'd like to think my morality is a little higher than that. I know they were trying to kill me, but they were thinking the same thing I was. And that takes me to the bigger picture on extremism. Why are people put into these extreme situations in the first place? And it's because of the utter failure of their leaders. Mm -hmm. The utter failure of their leadership to create a world where diplomacy has anything to do with it. Right. To allow things to devolve to the point where murder as a strategy, because that's what a war is. It's murder and terrorism and fear as a strategy. That should be like definition number three in the dictionary under war. Murder and fear and devastation as a strategy. It's failure. It is a moral and a, and a, and a diplomatic and an intellectual failure of the leaders of this planet of plenty. Because I'm sorry, I'm just I'm going to go against the other narrative. This planet has plenty we can make plenty of food. We have plenty of fresh air. We have plenty of fuel. The smarter we get, the more we're able to add things to it, like renewables and other things that can supplement it. The smarter we get, the more efficient we can get at the use of these fuels, if we were running out. But anyway, I say shame on the people who call themselves leaders who use murder and, and, and colonization and threat and, and devastation as a strategy. Yeah. And call it a political move. This is a political war. The fact that phrases like political war exist show how awful. <laughs> Yeah, I and I think that's my fear. I mean, I you know to 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 bring it back to the to the to the domestic front, you know, I I think we as a society take for granted the relative peace and security that we live in and and under, and we take for granted our ability to dissent and our ability to. Um, uh, express ourselves for granted and yeah. and yeah. we I, th I think we have an obligation those of us who are really dedicated to the preservation of this system and because it, it's not perfect but I would not trade what we have for the world despite its its its, its flaws I don't, I don't think there's any perfect societal system but i really like the american way of, of doing things i like the idea of free speech the idea of uh, free enterprise the idea of personal responsibility I, I i love those principles um but if we're not careful and we allow one side or the other it doesn't really matter who wins we're going to lose something precious if we get to a state to where you can't you mean if 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 someone is is 
religiously fervent and this religiously fervent person because of their deeply held beliefs wants to behave a certain way and we're going to chastise this person for their religious fervor in the name of progression and inclusion well well how are we including the person that we just cast out these are the things that, that that concern me and and the ease at which, you know, I talked earlier about the, the, the gentleman that struck the other gentleman at the, at the Trump rally, the ease at which that we can allow ourselves to disconnect our connection to another citizen in this country over these, I'm going to call them trivial ideological differences is a concern. And if we don't start to really start to push back and say, okay, hey, listen, while I don't necessarily agree that um, your desire to consider yourself um, an animal and, you know, you want to start this society where y'all live on a farm and nobody has to pay for anything, you just say, I, I, don't, I don't particularly agree with that, but I will rigorously defend your right to pursue it. And, and and if we don't start getting back to some sense of there's to your point, there's room enough for everybody at the table, everybody there's room enough. And, and, and you don't have to have this, um, you know, we need to eliminate and we need to, I, I, I'm, it scares me. I hear it so much, right? We need to get these people out of our country. They're not American. That is a scary thing to say. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <sighs> we have gone over, man. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think that's the best comment I can, I can make. Right. I mean, right. You know, <laughs> we've lost our way, but fortunately not all of us have lost that sense of direction. We need to fight together to maintain, you know, it it was a really funny statement in a a movie, and I think it was used on South Park and and, and, Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other silly shows, but, and Team America, you know, whatever, freedom ain't free, right? And it became a funny statement, right? And and that was the hardest. You could laugh if you were on this side, you couldn't laugh on the other side. No, it's freedom is not free. Like for the people who don't understand that, you cannot sit back, drink your coffee, kick your feet up on the couch until the freedom takers are at your front door. Right. You can't encourage the freedom takers to come to somebody else's front door because you don't like what they're saying. Right. You can't do that because it's not free. You are going to have to do something. The payment for freedom, and this is where I totally agree with you, <laughs> wouldn't want to be anywhere else. At least no. the claim. The claimed founding principles, if they can still be used, they are powerful. You you've lived it out means, of the country. You 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 know what it's like. You know it, it, what it means to live here is that your price that you would pay just to maintain freedom might be you just have to say something. Mm-hmm. What like that's it? Do you know in other countries if you would like to even try to be free, you you just hand over your life immediately. You oh, are yeah. the first hundred. You can say what you want to say until the van shows up. <laughs> and you are gone. <laughs> and you are gone. Like, Where did that guy go? Uh, the van came. 
Who are you? We don't know who you're talking about. Who is that? Yeah, I don't remember anything. So while we have at least, we have better than lip service. I shouldn't be so sad, but we, we have better than lip service on this system. It can still be used as long as the people of power have to claim to still support it. Right. You got to do something. You got to appreciate the fact that your freedom and your neighbor's freedom and your neighbor's neighbor and the guy in the next city, the guy in the next state, their freedom depends on you being a coward or speaking up. And, and in this country, it still is that just not being a coward just means using your voice. That's it. Use your voice. Use your presence. You know, uh, write a letter. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. I would like to say to someone in China right now, I, from afar, uh, sympathize with, with, like, I can't say anything about your life. Because it's so much harder there. Just writing a letter, really write a letter to Xi Jinping, and and maybe that might do something, you know. Or right. To, <laughs> like, him to you know take that money out of the real estate and give it back to you. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm smiling while I'm saying it, but it's so serious. Here, we still have the ability to make a stand without completely sacrificing our lives. Right. And. If we don't fight for each other to, to do that, and what fighting for each other means is cut out the extremism. If you find yourself saying you're far right, cut it out. If you find yourself saying you're far left, cut it out. Come somewhere toward this thing called the middle where you use your own brain. Because if you don't, other people are going to tell you what to do with it from now on. All right, man. I appreciate the uh, the discussion. Another good one. I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah look, we'll go ahead and shut it down, and uh, we'll talk again next week, man. All right. Take care. Hello, everyone. This is Brian. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to support us and our mission to foster real dialogue, you can find us on most major social media sites, including Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, Instagram, X, Threads, and TikTok. Just search for the Fourth Branch Podcast with a numeric four. Please reach out to us if you have a comment or an idea for a show. We mean it when we say we want to hear from everyone and we're serious about including you in the conversation. Got a topic that you're passionate about? Let's talk about it. We'd love to get you on the show and allow you to express your views. Once again, thanks for listening. Can't wait to talk to you soon.